0: You're listening to Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of amazing Black and Latina women in STEM. This season, in honor of Mother's Day, we are highlighting the powerful stories of Black and Latina mothers in STEM. Stay tuned each week for these roundtable conversations as we learn more about the inspirational and authentic experiences of Black and Latina moms, not only making it happen for their families, but for the entire STEM ecosystem. My name is Matt Stevenson, and welcome back to yet another episode of Technically Two Hundred. I am very excited to introduce you to uh, today's guests. We've got Ariel Dior Bui and Alexis Hall. They are both currently in medical school at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Wonderful, and they um, they know each other well. Tell us how do you all know each other, first off?
1: We started at UIC through our post back program together. Um, and then we both remained um, at the Chicago campus. There's three campuses, I guess, for the University of Illinois Medical School. And so we remained there together and we're just we've become friends over the years.
0: So, post back program, I'm still, I feel like I'm 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 super ignorant as to anything outside of standard undergraduate and graduate programs. So what is a post-bac and, and why would somebody pursue a post-bac?
2: Okay, most post-bac programs are, can be for um, people who they, maybe they decided they wanted to go to med school later on during their undergraduate career, but maybe they didn't get like all of the qualifications that they needed to get into med school, so then they have to kind of do this program or they may take all of the science classes um, and like do things like kind of boost their GPA, but also gives them time to do like the other requirements to get into med school. Like if you need to volunteer more um, or do some type of internship to kind of put on your application or your resume so that you can have better chances of like getting into med school. With UIC though, it's a little different. Um, they had kind of like a, an internal um application process where we applied to UIC's med school and their um, UHP program, their urban health program, kind of uh, selected us to um, do the post-bac program, which is for like minority students. And um, it's like, as long as you do well and get like a seven GPA, you get automatic admission into the medical school. Uh, the next year round.
0: Gotcha. So uh, would somebody be applying or would somebody be pursuing a post back for any reason um, or any degree program outside of medical school?
1: Um, possibly dental school, but typically it's typically a post-bac in sciences will be for medical school.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Thank you for educating me. So this this entire season uh, of technically 200, we're focused on uh, black and Latina moms in STEM, uh, not just black and Latina women in STEM. and you all have a uh, have quite a bit in common aside from both attending UIC uh, medical school. You're both moms and fairly new moms. Um, Alexis, your your son is two and, and Ariel, your son is one, is that right? Yes. So I I usually like to start this, start our interviews this way, or at least work it in at some point, but tell us about your kids.
1: I'll go with Austin. (laughs) Austin is my son. Uh, he's a new two year old. Um, yeah, he's busy. He's full of life. Um, Talking, walking, moving, getting into everything. Um, the light of my life, I would say.
0: And, and so Alexis's son, uh, Austin, named Austin because I, I always love to, to find out how names came about. Is that a family name?
1: No, um, so we honestly didn't pick his name until probably like two or three days before he was born. We went back and forth with names. Uh, Possible, I really wanted him to be named Jackson. Um, his dad is very big on names with meaning, um, and oh, I'm gonna blank, and I should know this. Um, Austin the Great. Um, Austin. I don't know if it's like Saint Augustine or something like along those lines. It means something along the lines of like great ruler along that line so um that's how we ended up picking that name amongst jackson austin and carson those are
0: how did he he win and you didn't win
1: you know what he won (laughs) on all the names first middle and last name but (laughs) he looks exactly like me so i think i won overall
0: fair enough okay okay you you get that one (laughs) he's got to get something in this and so uh, how about you, Ariel? Tell us about your son.
2: Uh, my son's name is Joseph.
0: He is one,
2: um, and he is like a <laughs> uh, like the little Tasmanian devil. He <laughs> runs through the house, tears everything up. <laughs> he eats all his snacks, and you know, throws them on the floor, and we clean him up. Um, he loves music. And, um, yeah, he's crazy, (laughs) but he's so smart.
0: (laughs) And so how, how deep into medical school are you? What year? Both of you? We're both fourth years. You're both fourth. So you're about to wrap it up.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Uh, Wait, like you're about to, about to wrap it up like this month. (laughs) No,
2: no, no, no. no, no, Next year. (laughs) Next year. Okay. Yeah, we we just started fourth year, so next year we graduate.
0: That's fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. But given the ages of your your sons, that means you all you all had them during medical school. Yes. Yep. What was that like?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that it was. It was challenging, Uh, it was tough, but I think more so than anything, it was uh, motivational and rewarding. I agree. It was especially
2: tough towards the end um, when you're like eight and nine months pregnant and you have to like physically be there in class like every day.
0: So so you ladies are not the first who I've, I've spoken to. You're probably the the fourth and fifth uh, who, fourth and fifth, guess who we've had on Technically 200 who had children either in undergrad or graduate school. And it sounds like it's it's far more common than I think most people expect. I mean, we're, was, can you talk about all the... <laughs> I mean, not the mechanics like we know we like we've had those conversations. <laughs> right. But <laughs> but I mean, where was this planned?
1: I'm going to say yes and no. So I always plan to have a child in med school. Um, I didn't know that when I started med school, two weeks into med school that I was well, I was pregnant when I started med school. I just found out two weeks into med school. I'm not going to say that was planned. Um If I had it my way, I would have planned a year later, but I did ultimately plan to have a child in med school. Um, I started med school, I'm older. I started med school when I was 25 or 26, I'm blanking. Um,
0: Is that old? Is that old for med school or something?
1: No, Uh, (laughs) actually Actually, it's like the average age now, but like traditionally, a lot of students in our class and just in general, they begin med school like a year or two after undergrad. So at like anywhere from 21, 22, 23. So I graduated undergrad at 20 years old. So I was out of school for about six years working, doing whatever, and then came back. So I feel like I'm a lot older than my classmates when we talk out loud.
2: <laughs> but there are definitely people older than her <laughs> in class yes. and people younger. We did have, I think our year that we started, we had a 20 year old who was um, just starting. And like most of us were like 23 or 24 or something like that.
0: Yeah. So w- what does that look like? Because I, you know, I remember being in, um, in business school not with child but uh being in business school in my late 20s and there were quite i mean i think there's something similar on the business school side where you've got a lot of folks who are early to mid 20s and i i think the lifestyle starts to trend younger as well as a result so what is that what did that look like or what has that looked like for you all as as moms in medical school and and what you're involved in day to day your interactions with with uh, with your classmates?
1: Um, I think actually me and Ariel probably will have different answers for this <laughs> uh, just based off location and just study styles um, I'm a person that I, Can I study at home? Um, Home is home. So I need home to relax, be with my family or do whatever. So for me, um, school time became more of like a a work schedule. So I would get up in the morning and go to school, whatever study and I can get done before. And I would stay like a work day to like six, six thirty pending, no exam. Um, And I would study and I would do as much work as I can get done there. And then when I go home, home is home and I separate and I break. I don't do anything else at home. I may occasionally flip through some flashcards, watch some videos after my son is asleep, but that's it. So if there's a meeting at school, if there's, um, yeah, like a meeting, some like sort of social event pre COVID, um, I would attend those things. Um, and I would socialize, um, in that regard. But then after that, home was home, like I said, and school was school.
0: So you, so you have, you have help with your son?
1: Yes, I have help with my son. Um, me and my partner, we are essentially on opposite schedules. He works nights. So, um, either he drops off and picks up from daycare or depending on like right now I'm studying for my board. So, I'll drop off to daycare and then he'll pick up. And so it allows me to stay at school and study as late as I need to, honestly, up till nine o'clock if need be. But I try to have like some home time for us together in between there. Um, and then like, I kind of like take over night shift and make sure I have everything ready in terms of um, clothes, laundry, stuff like that. So it's, it's more like a system that I feel like anyone, um, Anyone, whether you have a kid or not in med school, you kind of put yourself on whether it's I'm going to cook these days, I'm going to do laundry these days, or if my mom cooks for me or whatever it may be, Um, and you just learn to function and adapt around it. I mean, we all have 24 hours in a day and you just figure out how to make those 24 hours work for you. (laughs)
0: I can't so don't tell me that because you're like people say the same thing about Beyonce. They say Beyonce has the same 24 hours that the rest of us have, and look at what she does with it. Like, don't tell me that. There's something different about you, right? You you're a mom and you're in medical school and managing all of that. I'm sure that you've got classmates who are not in that position who are trying their best to hold on. So can you talk to me about where does that come from? Have you always been, whether it's, um, this, this organized with your time, this motivated, like what, what is it that makes up Alexis that, that allows you to be this way?
1: Um, I would honestly say, yes, I've always been this organized. Um, I've been pretty motivated most of my life, but I would definitely say life circumstances have definitely contributed to that. Um, I had to grow up a lot sooner than I feel like a lot of people. My mom has multiple sclerosis, so my mom was never um, a physical mom. For I'm not going to say never, but for as long as I can remember. So since I was like seven, eight. So when every other kid got to go outside and play, I was able to do those things. But I still had to make sure I did my hair and my sister's hair for school. I used to have to iron clothes and help with laundry. So it's like second nature to me to do those things. So in some aspects, I feel like, yeah, my circumstances have made me that much more efficient. Um, But then also I do just feel like people make time for what they wanna make time for. And so medicine is something that I want and motherhood is something that I equally want. Um, I mean, nothing means more to me than my son, but I equally want both. And so I feel like if you want both, Um, you just function, um, and maneuver to do both. And, um, you have to be okay with at certain times you're going to devote more time to the other. That doesn't mean that you love one less than the other or anything like that. It's just that you have to be okay with, you may not be the mom that's, um, taking your kids to school every day or tucking them in every night, um, but I will be the mom that's present and able to make sure my son and or future kids um, have whatever they need um, going forward. So it's, it's a trade-off.
0: You know, some of, uh, and when you say getting okay with that, I think that we, that can't be, that can't be overstated, right? Because as parents, there are going to be a number of trade-offs that that you have to make. Um, you you both are in medical school, you are looking to uh, create a better future for yourselves and your families and by investing in your careers. And so, you know, Ariel, you've been doing this for just a little bit longer than Alexis. Can you talk about whether you've come to a similar place of being okay with those trade-offs, or if that's something you're still working on and and, and how you're working through that?
2: Um, yeah, well, Alexis has been doing this a year before me, but, uh, That's yeah,
0: math.
2: <laughs> well, like, our, yeah, our kids are like eight months apart or something like that. But, um, I definitely agree with literally everything she said. Um, I've always said that I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to be a doctor and I'm not going to trade one for the other. So you do, you just have to, um, you just have to make it work. Um, there's like a lot of a stereotype that like if you're a certain kind of doctor um, that you won't see your kids, you know, when you're like in residency and even when you become like the supervising um, doctor and they're like there's uh, like stereotypes that like your kids will grow up and like be mad at you for not being present and things like that. And I just kind of throw all of that to the side and I just like, I know me and I know myself. I'm not just going to throw myself into like work and completely forget that I have like a family at home. Um, so it is, it's very crucial to just always make sure that you make time for your family. So like, you know, if you don't have a family, once you're, once you go to work during the day, like as a med student, you like go see patients during the day. And then at night you come home and you study because you possibly have exams. You know, when you don't have a family, you can fall asleep on your books, studying and wake up in the morning and then continue to study but you know when you have a family you uh you have to shut it off. you know I have to say like okay by you know no matter what time I get home I'm gonna study and then by like eight o'clock that's it I'm done because now I have to go be a mom I have to go be a wife I have to go like um you know get my son ready for bed or like feed him and then like my husband is like I don't get to see my son in the morning. Cause like we get up and go to work at like crazy hours, depending on the rotation. So my husband is like the day parent and I'm like the night parent. So I'm like, well, I want to be the one to give him a bath and get him ready. Um, and like feed him and stuff like that. Because, you know, not only is it, um, not only am I trying to kind of take a load off of him So he doesn't feel like he's a single parent, but like those are, I also want to do those things because like, he's my child too. You know, I want to take part in the parenting part and like playing with him and stuff at night. So you just definitely, you have to make time for things that you want to do.
0: So how do you, I mean, with, with children who are, are one and two, I mean, how much do you think they understand that that balance that you and your your partners are, are, are trying to strike?
1: <laughs> I don't think they understand at all right now. Um, no. <laughs> not at all. Like if I even attempt to, you know, do flashcards on my phone, my son is at this point where like he's learning what a tablet is, what a phone is. So, you know, he's all intrigued. He wants to swipe through the apps. So it's, it's not even any point of doing that. If I open up my laptop, he wants to come and tap on the keyboard. So um, I don't think he understands. There are some nights where it's like, I feel like I need to study, I have an exam and he may not give me any trouble going to bed. And I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, I'm able to like he went to bed early. Okay, I'm able to study a little bit more once he go to sleep. But then there's other times where it's like I literally have an exam tomorrow and like, dude, go to bed. And it's just like he's wired wide awake. So I think he has no concept um, of what's going on or what I'm even trying to do. It's just that mommy's home and I want to play and I want to I want to be up as long as she's up and I want to be right up under you. You walk to the bathroom. I want to go to the bathroom. You walk down the stairs. I want to go downstairs. Like it's just like a, a walking shadow, and I don't think that they really understand.
0: Is it is it true that um, I heard this? On, I heard this, but that doesn't mean it's true. Um, it was on NPR, which I, I, I trust. But is it true that general practitioners, so like family family doctors generally have harder hours than um, specialists because so for example um, Alexis you're you're pursuing anesthesiology is that correct yes okay so do you have a sense of whether that's true yeah
1: I think that's actually false <laughs> that's, yeah that's opposite this the opposite, that's the opposite. Um, typically if you're a specialist you have much harder hours than a generalist. Um, I will say, though, that within reason. So if I'm a family practice doctor and I work in a nice suburb, chances are my hours are, are really nice. They're great. But I can also be a family medicine doctor that work at a federally like, qualified health center, which is like a lot of low income patients or no insur- patients without any insurance. And my hours may may be much longer because I'm dealing with patients with a lot of complex and multiple health conditions at once. I'm not dealing with a bunch of patients that are like relatively healthy and they may have a cold or they may have a little arthritis or something like that. So there's that point of reasoning. But um, I want to go into anesthesia area wants to go into surgery. And so we can't leave until... Our patient is off the operating table, and then for me, I can't leave until that patient fully wakes up and have a certain period outside of um, out, off of anesthesia. So at that given point, like we can only guesstimate and think what we're gonna see when we open that patient up, but we never really know. So there's always complications. Someone may bleed. Um, you may find something that wasn't there. And so it makes these things a lot longer. And then for surgery to work, there's a whole team. So you're depending on everyone being there everyone's time. Every insurance, not every insurance, every instrument being there, um, all the sutures being aligned, all the counts at the end of the day. Like there's a lot of things that go into it. And then with other specialties, that's like non-surgical, a cardiologist, they're there from sunup to sundown um if you come in tomorrow god forbid with a heart attack like and i'm the cardiologist on call it doesn't matter if it's 11 o'clock at night it doesn't matter if it's 2 a.m like i have to come um so there are a few specialists where they do have a nicer work-life balance but overall a generalist typically works less than a specialist
0: see i i, I wasn't going to take NPR at their word, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, you know, it goes, I go straight to the the folks who should know the best. So, so, so surgery, then Ariel, can you talk to me about what particular area within surgery you're, you're pursuing Then,
2: um, As of right now, I'm interested in trauma. Um, I haven't gotten to rotate on trauma yet due to COVID, but I'll be seeing some of that this year. So I'm excited about that.
0: What what does that encompass trauma?
2: Um, So for trauma, the way I kind of like it it can explain to me is that it's like um, you operate anywhere between like um, your neck to your pelvis. So that's like heart, lungs, all the organs in your abdomen, and then even like large vessels that are also in your abdomen. Um, and then you, you basically can do however much you are comfortable with. So there's different um, specialties in surgery for like the different systems. Like there's a cardiothoracic surgeon for like heart and lungs, and then there's a general surgeon for everything your abdomen. There's a vascular surgeon for all of your vessels. There's an orthopedic surgeon for bones, but for trauma you can basically, for the most part, you can do whatever you're comfortable with. So if you're a trauma surgeon who uh, is well-trained and you feel comfortable um, working on the heart, you can go ahead and work on that heart. You don't have to call in a cardiothoracic surgeon. Um, So it kind of, the field kind of speaks to me because I like that you're not confined to like one organ or even one body system. You can kind of
0: operate wherever
2: you're comfortable with.
0: Well, I'm thinking about how you all have, I mean, I just met you, but come a long way because you're you're almost done with medical school. And I wonder if there's any advice that you might have to a mom who is in the same boat. Um, maybe they're about to start medical school and just found out that they're pregnant um, or they are facing the challenge of, Um, or maybe not challenge, but unique situation of being a mom in medical school, what what advice do you all have for them?
1: Um, My advice would be, first and foremost, it is doable and to not give up. Um, It will be to focus on you and solely you from the standpoint of do not compare yourself to the rest of your classmates, because your life is nothing like theirs. Your responsibilities for the most part of you versus the average medical student is totally different. So to do what you can do, um, the only, you know, race you have is against yourself and just to not give up and to be very flexible and um, just be open to support. Um, I think that's like the biggest thing. Yeah, I would
2: also say that it's definitely doable, especially with a uh, support system. Um, and it doesn't have to be a huge support system, but just anybody that's like in your corner who can you know um, you know help you, you know, times when you need to study and you need like a quiet you know two hours a day or something like that just to study anybody that can um, you know, watch your child, or if you can take them to daycare, like do whatever it is that you have to do in order to stay on your path and, um, to be successful. And it like, it takes a village to raise a child, even when you're not in medical school. So you definitely still need that village, um, while you're in medical school. So it's just write it out. And like, eventually you'll be past this phase. There's a lot of people um there's a lot of doctors who are residents and even attendings who will give you advice and say have your kids earlier sooner than later because then you you'll wait you keep waiting for this point of oh this will be a better time oh no this will be a better time but really there's no better time during med school or during residency and then you might get to a point where it's too late you know it are um Reproductive system isn't set up to where you can just have children whenever, forever. Um, and there's a lot of talk about um, residents or attending even like freezing their eggs so that um, they can make sure that they have children later too. So I think that if you want to do it, just do it with some reason and have that support system backing you up because it's not a single battle.
0: This is going to seem um, way out of left field um, or not, but Black women and standard of care, what can you share with us about that?
1: Um, I'll just be honest. <laughs> um, I don't feel as if Black women in general uh, receive quote unquote standard of care. Um, I think by myself being in medicine, I'm able to maneuver and act, advocate for myself a little differently. Um, But I think just being a black woman and just being a woman in general, there, there comes Just being a woman, a level of intuition and never deviate away, deviate away from that intuition. And so if you feel like you're not receiving something, you're not being heard, it is okay to seek a second opinion and to go elsewhere. Um, Just don't shortchange yourself. Um, Go with your gut. And doctors, we are knowledgeable people. We are smart people, but I often tell people nurses are some of the smartest people. So you don't have to know a doctor to, you know, feel like, okay, well, what the doctor say is right. If your friend or such and such is a nurse or a physical therapist or whatever you have it, um, seek their opinion, ask, you know, them how they feel, their thoughts, reach back to your mom, your grandmother, if you can, you know, within reason, and then make an informed decision um, based off that. And I wouldn't encourage people to like go surf the internet because that can lead you down a nasty rabbit hole, but um, (laughs) it's nothing wrong with also um, sort of doing your own research as well, within reason.
0: Have you been in a situation yourself where you were getting subpar care and you maybe it was just the simple fact that you yourself are a medical student and you you recognize that because I think I I'd imagine I, I wouldn't know, but I, I'd imagine that um, there are many instances where women, in particular black women, have that intuition that something is wrong, as Alexis mentioned, and they're not being listened to. But as someone in the medical profession or as a future physician yourself, you knew that.
2: I will say, I I do think that I've experienced that. Um, And I I actually have seen the experience with um, like other patients, maybe like I was on the the team taking care of that patient or like, maybe not even on the team, but um, I was, yeah, you could say that. I guess I was on the team where I, I believe that that may have been the case. Um, it's hard for us as medical students. We're, we're like down at the, on the lowest end of the totem pole. So it's hard for us to, uh, I guess, know how to bring inequities like that to um, to the attention of the people above us without, you know, coming off as, uh, you know, being like a know-it-all or being disrespectful because, you know, the your residents and your attendees above you, they have like more years of experience. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's a difficult situation. And um, we've been taught to, if you feel like you see something that's not right, um, to like strategically ask about it as if you're trying to learn about it, but also like bring it to the attention of the care team. Like, why are we doing this for this patient, but we're not doing this for this other patient who is black and who is in more pain than this, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to kind of, um, give like a subliminal message almost uh, to make people aware of what they're doing and to make sure that everyone gets the same treatment. So I've, I've definitely seen that. Um, I actually have dealt with that and, uh, it's very tricky. I will say that it was, uh, it was something that I was not expecting to do, especially so early in my, uh, career, I guess, or my education, you know, as a third year medical student, but I, I definitely try my best when I see if I think I see something that doesn't quite look right. Um, and also even with myself, I kind of feel like I experienced that when I gave birth. Uh, I, it's, it's a very weird thing after you give birth and after you have a C-section also, um, there's like a lot of moving parts. You get something that no one ever told me was that like I guess from the anesthesia and from like the hormones kind of leaving your body all at once, you have like these really bad shakes and shivers, like to the point my my really my teeth were like chattering so bad, I thought my teeth were gonna crack. And in my mind, I'm you know conjuring up a whole list of things that could be going wrong with me, like, oh my God, what's happening? Is something wrong? Am I like bleed internally? Am I died Like it, it was a very kind of like traumatic experience for me. And I at that moment, you know, I had just given birth and I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with me. And nobody was listening to me. Everybody, like all it was like a thousand nurses in my room, and they're like moving quickly. Everybody's moving, doing their part, this and that. And like nobody will answer my questions while I'm over here panicking and then I, I kind of felt like after i yelled out that i was a med student people started to pay attention like oh let me um let me go see you know what what she wants finally because like now you know that i'm paying attention to you like i i may know what's supposed to happen and now i'm like kind of watching that too so um i do i definitely think it makes a difference when you have someone in the the medical field who can like um, advocate for you, who can vow for you, and, you know, people tend to, I think, get more um, stay on their P's and Q's when they know that there's somebody in your corner that can potentially call them out.
1: I have a quick example as well. Um, I feel like there's been countless of times, and this was another reason that kind of drew me to anesthesia, um, where Um, I've seen black patients, especially black women poked and prodded, um, we can't find your vein and, you know, I've seen it on the opposite spectrum of non-black, uh, patients, especially women, um, you know, they take their time, they're a little bit more delicate with getting the IV, putting a line in, in the OR. Um, I've also seen where it's like, obviously in the OR you're undressed, um, you're cleaning the body, you want it to be sterile. And, you know, I've seen where it's like her breasts are fully exposed. She's not covered up, but she's having surgery through the vagina. So why do her breasts need to be exposed at all? And so little things like that, where it's like, um, that's not standard of care and, you know, don't expose her and, you know, respect her body and cover her up just as you would the rest of these patients um so I've seen situations like that and I've also had similar situations um on opposite end my pregnancy I'm not going to say it was tough but it was it was a little complicated my son was not growing weight at all and so um you know kind of being accused of eating disorders not starving myself and things of that nature and it's just like no I'm a med student you know and then it's just like their whole tone and how they approach me changed um and it just shows you that like they're not just doing this to me they're doing this to others and the biggest one I would have to say especially with women in OB is as soon as Black and Latinas come from whether it's having a baby or having anything related to childbirth is I want to throw contraception at you. I want to throw contraception at you. And it's just like allow people to, you know, I've just had my baby, you know, bond, et cetera. Like, I don't see you throwing, you know, what's the contraception? What do you want to get on birth control for or asking about? the child's dad and things of that nature. Maybe she just wanted her mom in the room with her. So I've seen those things that I feel like is very biased towards black and Latinas women. That um, is something that I feel like that's not standard of care. It's kind of, um, it's kind of messed up, you know, to be at a vulnerable state like this and someone's questioning you about why the child father isn't in the room or, I, I what birth control you want to get on, or um, none of your friends told you that this is painful. I bet you want, you know, birth control now. Like that was something I heard. Um, so you know, like as I'm as as she's pushing
0: to you or to another patient.
1: This was to another patient, but I was the the med student um, in that case, and so it kind of goes back to like you're a med student, so you're constantly being evaluated. So. You can speak up, but like you have to watch how you speak up and who you can speak up to, because medicine is also a very small field. So if you say or do the wrong thing, you can blackball yourself from opportunities. So once you get past that threshold and you are a doctor, then you know you can speak up and do whatever you want to a certain extent. But um, when you're still in our role, our our capacity to do much is limited, even though they tell you, you know do this and speak up, but, you know, you have to be careful.
0: Ladies, I I really do appreciate you making the time. Um, We always end with three questions and this season I've been switching them up just a little bit. So uh, first question, and you only have 10 seconds for each one. Uh, First question is, what is your favorite meal to be made for you? Favorite meal to be made for you?
1: Oh, I would say my favorite meal to be made for me is greens, cornbread, yams, fried catfish, and a little macaroni and cheese. Just a little bit. (laughs) That's probably my favorite meal to be made for me. All
0: right, partner, take note.
2: Okay, mine changes often, but right now I'm gonna say is a steak. What (laughs) kind? Um, I think I usually do sirloin, and I don't like be upset about this when I say this because everybody does. I like mine well done, but butterfly cooked so it's not burnt. (laughs) Um. And usually like a potato, either mashed potatoes or a baked potato and uh, corn.
0: Uh, On the cob or off? Doesn't matter. Next question. Your favorite 90s
1: song? I should know something for this. I just had a 90s birthday for my baby. (laughs) 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 Oh yeah. Uh, oh, gosh. I can't. I have a lot of favorites 90s songs, but I'm going to go with uh, Monica. For you, I will.
2: <sighs> oh, can I name the 90s artist? Because I can't even think of the name of the song right
0: now. Go for it.
2: As- Ashanti. Particularly the Ashanti and uh, Jairoo collabs.
0: The last question, what is one word of wisdom that you want to ensure that your son walks away with?
2: As long as you're determined, you will go far. That's kind of how I feel about myself.
1: Mine will probably have to be... uh... Always be the best version of you and never let anybody outwork you.
0: Well, ladies, um, Ariel, Bowie, and Alexis Hall, thank you so much for being so gracious with your time and sharing these great insights with our audience. Um, Hope you ladies have a wonderful evening and can't wait for everyone to hear all that you shared. Thanks again for listening to today's. Technically 200 episode. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com.